everyone and welcome to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast brought to you live from Sorgatron Media in beautiful Beachview Business District. I'm editor and publisher of the Pittsburgh Current, Charlie Deach. And we have a good show today. We have District Attorney, Independent District Attorney candidate Lisa Middleman with us. Um, but before we, we get to that, I just want to let you know that the new issue of the Pittsburgh Current is out on the streets this week. Um, pick it up. Uh, it's a uh, uh, a cover story that I'm that I'm quite proud of. A cover story uh, of a cover of a story that that needed to be told about a young a young gifted a gifted young artist named Miles Sale who um, lost his life a couple of years ago to depression. Um, and so this tells his story and his family and friends' effort to sort of help others make sure that they don't come to the same fate. So please check out that story. Also, there's all as always great music, art, and f- coverage of the. Uh, Real Q uh, LGBTQ Film Festival that's starting this weekend. Um, also, I want to tell you about a the next Pittsburgh Current event is a repeal day party on December 5th, Thursday, December 5th from 7 to 10. It's at the Speakeasy at Max's Allegheny Tavern. I didn't know there was a Speakeasy there, but there is. Um, and we're going to have uh, drinks, prohibition cocktails provided by Quantum Spirits, craft brews by Enix Brewing. And that's at Max's Allegheny Tavern. And you can find information on our website, pittsburghcurrent.com. And on our Facebook page, you can find that uh, listing. But today we're going to talk politics, not drinking, although politics sometimes leads to drinking and, <laughs> and vice versa, I think. Lisa Middleman is an independent candidate for district attorney, Allegheny County district attorney, and she joined us today on the show. Lisa, welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, so little backstory, I guess, for folks, and I'm sure folks who are watching this and interested Kind of know the backstory. Um, Stephen Zapala, the district attorney, longtime district attorney, was challenged in the primary by Teron Jenkins. Um, uh, Zapala came out on top, and afterwards, you declared in July, I believe, declared your candidacy as an independent. Um, tell us a little bit about why you decided to do that. Well, I supported Teron in the primary, right, and was very disappointed. Um, that his campaign was unable to be successful. But I saw that a lot of people did support the idea of change in the district attorney's office. And I've watched um, 20 years of failed policies and thought I cannot watch another four years. So that's why I jumped in the race. And you you wa- you saw these policies play out um, on a very – you had a front row seat basically as a – public defender as a defense attorney you were sort of you were right there the whole time as someone on the other side of the table from the district attorney's office what has your view been of of the main problems coming from the district attorney's office i think the main i can tell you the reason for the main problems yeah. or what i believe to be the reasons for the main problems which is a total lack of disengagement with the people that the criminal justice system most affects right. The other thing is I was reading um, the grand jury report on the problems in the Catholic Church in preparation for a candidate forum that Zappella didn't show up for, but I was prepping for it. And I thought to myself, this is what happens when you support and defend the institution rather than the people that the institution is supposed to be serving. And that's what I think is going on with the criminal justice system. We're feeding and supporting this system rather than the actual individuals that the system is supposed to be protecting and helping. 
right. That actually is, um, I had an interview with DA Zapala, uh, before the spring primary. And, um, one of the things that I asked him was, um, uh, this, and this was probably two weeks after the Michael Rosefeld trial, uh, Michael Rosefeld, the police officer who went, uh, was, uh, charged and went on trial, um, for the killing of Antoine Rose, 17 year old Antoine Rose, who was unarmed and shot in the back. Um, that resulted in an acquittal for the police officer. And there've been some, a lot of, you know, people, and we can, we'll talk about that, that, that particular case. Um, but during that interview, I asked him, you know, how he took the public, did, did he see that the public wasn't happy with him? And he told me that he had never really heard any complaints. Now, this is after a year of protest, most of the time outside of the building where he works from people upset about the Antoine Rose case. And I think that that goes to what you're saying about not listening or not, I don't want to say not caring, but certainly not listening and not acting on what, what the public is saying. It surprised me that he said that because it almost just showed he was either turning a blind eye to it or didn't care. Honestly, was my, was my, was my thought. So, um, so you believe that's, that, that, that's a situation that has, um, that's maybe caused the, 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 the distance between himself and the community, particularly the black community is his failure to hear or his failure to listen, maybe. Right. He's totally disengaged from what those folks think. You know, when, when you run for office, which is something I learned, you go everywhere. And when you can't only go to the Fox Chapel picnic, right? you know, you, you should go yeah. to the Braddock street fair. You should go to the Rankin street fair. You should go to places in the Mon Valley. You should go to Homewood. You should hear what the people in the communities that your policies most affect yeah. have to say. And I've never seen him at any of those places. You mentioned a, um, have you had, have there been many candidate forums and has, have you seen him face to face at any of these forums um, that you've gone to? It appears that he will not answer questions um, right. about his policies anywhere. Right. And, and, and it almost, it almost seems, I mean, there's, I guess there's a, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth. These are, this, these are my words clearly, <laughs> but there's almost an arrogance there about, who he answers to, I think sometimes, and he has, you know, strong union support and so forth. And, and the, the, the kind of typical, you know, democratic, uh, party backers. Um, but you obviously coming into this, you have to be looking at getting your support at the ground level. How's that going? It's going really well. Yeah. I think because I don't walk in with a feeling of entitlement, yeah. I'm not entitled to this job. I'm working to earn the respect of the people and I'm working and will continue to work to earn my position. Right. Uh, so I don't expect it to be handed to me and I expect for me, people to challenge me. I would like to be challenged and I expect then when I win for those same people to help me and support me and to be part of the, of the office. Right. Um, let's talk about some of these, some of these issues that, that you're talking about and that, and a lot of them are these areas where, where you mentioned that, that DA Zapala is, is affecting other communities. Um, one of the, one of them is ending mass incarceration. And that's, um, that's huge. Um, our, our prison system is overcrowded. We have Allegheny County historically has, um, overcharged and, and put folks, they put a lot of folks in, in our, in our prison and in our jail system over the past several years. What are your thoughts on how that, how 
the DA's office has has added to that problem. And what are your thoughts about how to fix it? Well, I think they've added to the problem by overcharging significantly. Yeah. There was a 2016 uh, University of Pittsburgh report that indicated that they're overcharging in 37% of felony cases. And when you overcharge, you force people to plead because they're terrified you know, to go to trial on, on the heavier charge that might send them to prison. Right. That's one way we've um, packed the county jail. The other way is by incarcerating people who have mental health problems or addiction problems. And we should be ashamed of the number of people that are locked up for human frailties. And it's very difficult. And I think it's very disingenuous to say that you're trying to end mass incarceration when you're actually the cause of mass incarceration and the jail, um, keeps records and keeps track of the population and it's never steady. You know, there's always an up and down and up and down. And so you can cherry pick statistics about, Oh, well a year ago, you know, it was this and now today it's lower. Yes. But the average, um, inmate population at the county jail has not significantly changed in three years since this report came out. So we can change mass incarceration. You just have to actually want to. Talk about some, um, and I brought this up because uh, Teron Jenkins had some, had some interesting ideas about diversionary programs. And, and, you know, he, he said that he didn't feel that there were enough diversionary programs that work or real diversionary programs to keep people from being kind of branded for life. Um, and when I asked again, earlier this year, when I asked the DA about that, he said, well, we have diversionary programs. You're pitching, you have some ideas for diver- diversionary programs. How do yours differ, for, differ from what the diversion? Cause there, are, there is drug court. There are some, some things like that, but how, how do your ideas differ and how do these, how are these failing? Folks? They're not diversionary programs. Yeah. There's one diversionary program in Allegheny County and that's ARD. Right. Because a true diversionary program means you're totally diverted out of the criminal justice system. It's not diverted out of the jail or diverted out of probation. It's diverted out of the system. And there are jurisdictions all over the country that are doing it the right way, right. which is you, you're an addict or, or, or you suffer from addiction, you have a mental health problem. Instead of um, having to plead guilty to get the help that you need, you plead, you go through the program, you satisfy the program, and the charges are withdrawn. Right. It gives you some incentive to go into the programs. As a defense attorney, if I have a client who is facing a couple of months in jail versus years of treatment and effort and work, I tell them, just do your three months or two months and be done. Right. It's easier, it's cheaper, and you won't have as many problems. Right. And it's a, it's not, that viewpoint is not one that's going to actually benefit the client and benefit society. So right. you have to give people an incentive to do the right thing. And the incentive is do it, do it right. We'll drop the charges. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it's difficult and you would know better than I as a lawyer, but it's difficult to get your record expunged or to get those things wiped after the fact. And, and that's one of the things that, that I had mentioned in that is, is it's, it's tough to, you know, if you can avoid putting that person in the system from day one, the charge is still hanging over them if they don't complete, if they don't complete their side of the bargain, if they don't right. finish the, the treatment or the program. Um, why do you think, why do you, what would be the reason to, to do it the way that, that it's being done now? Why, you know, why kind of force these, these guilty pleas? I mean, what's the, maybe even not specifically, but as a lawyer, what's the, I mean, what difference does it make? I guess is is my question. Does it make a difference? And whether you you to go to drug court, you have to plead guilty, or 
you can, you know, have the charge hanging over you and you go through either a similar program or something. And then if you complete it, you, you're not charged at all. Is there a philosophical, I mean, I don't know. I guess I'm having trouble seeing what the point is of insisting on the conviction. You'll have to ask Steven Zappala <laughs> if you can catch him anywhere. But yeah, there's no reason for it. Because yeah. if you are really trying to give somebody a leg up and say, you know, we know you struggle, we know you suffer, we're going to help you. Yeah. You can't then say, oh, but we're also going to saddle you with a conviction so you can't get public housing, right. you can't get loans, you can't get a job. And you'll be in incredible debt because a criminal conviction also carries a lot of court costs. Right. And I was going to ask you, as, as a defense attorney, talk a little bit about what that a guilty conviction for a low level drug offense, let's say, um, few months in the county prison or in the county jail. But, but what is the lasting impact of that on someone? Well, the lasting impact is that you're you have a criminal record. Yeah. And I just met a woman at a church, um, Valley View, who is very upset and concerned. She has a mom who's trying to get into public housing, but she has a criminal conviction. Wow. And they're saying we can't let you in. It's an old criminal conviction, but it's an old age home. Right. <laughs> and she wow. can't get in because she is a felony from however long ago. And that's nonsensical. Yeah. She's been absolutely, you know, crime free for years and she has mental health issues, but she can't get right. in to senior citizen housing. So those are the kinds of things that happen when you have a criminal conviction. You know, you have um, every time that you're arrested, it's noted. And if you can't get it expunged, your prior arrests will come up in risk assessments so that if you get arrested again, oh, but you've been arrested 17 times, so you have to be in jail until your mm -hmm. trial. Those are the kinds of things that happen to you when you have all these prior arrests that aren't wiped off. Right. The Public Defender's Office has a great program where they are um, helping people get records expunged, but you can't get a conviction expunged right. for anything other than a misdemeanor three or below. Wow. And most crimes are not misdemeanor threes or below. Right. Thefts, possessions, they're, they're not going to get wiped off your record. And not for 10 years. Wow. And so, yeah, that's, that's a long stretch where you, I mean, maybe not unemployable, but it's, it's pretty close, right. if, if not unemployable for, for that period of time. At least at anything, at a job that would help you get your life turned around. And or move forward. Yeah, and yeah, move, move, move away and move forward. Yeah. Um, we talked about overcharging. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about a, a recent case. Um, and, and I, the chuckle wasn't at the case. The chuckle was at the fact that, uh, at the result. Um, so we have the incident at the uh, McKnight Road Exxon station where two black women were beaten by three men, uh, the, I think the station owner and two employees. Well, that was at the north side. Oh, um, the, yeah, sorry. The north side, the yeah, sorry. North, north side, yeah. Um, so the charges come from the DA's office. The charges are uh, simple assault, correct? A misdemeanor instead of aggravated assault. And the district attorney said that he was confident, or, or, or I'm sorry, that, that, he, that these were the charges that were, that were just because um, there wasn't, he said it didn't meet the standard of aggravated assault. And I'm not an attorney, you are, so I'm going to let you answer that. Um, but then also he made the comment, I'm not going to politicize. <laughs> I, could, I could charge them higher and politicize this issue, but I'm not going to do that. I don't know. It's it's kind of tough to to sort of if you look back at the record, it's kind of tough maybe to 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 see that that is ever a motive. But talk to me a little bit about that case, um, and talk to me a little bit about um, that that idea. First, of all, let's go with that idea that simple assault is the only charge that could have come out of that case. That's absolutely incorrect. And I was very 
dismayed to, to hear the district attorney discussing the law uh, incorrectly when right. he was asked the question. You know, he said, you can't have an aggravated assault unless you have bodily injury or a weapon. And that's just not the law. Yeah. You know, and it's disturbing to me because most people don't know. You know, I, most people aren't criminal lawyers and they rely on elected officials and people they admire or trust to give them correct information. And what the DA gave was not correct information. And if you think about it from a common sense perspective, like if I throw you off a four-story building right, right. and you hit the awning um, and you so you're not hurt, that doesn't mean I didn't intend to cause you serious right. bodily injury. Right. And um, when so when an individual is thrown head first into an immovable object, yeah. that clearly demonstrates a, a disregard for the value of human life, especially with what we know about um, head trauma and head injuries yeah. now. The other thing that's very upsetting to me is most of us who work in the criminal justice system know that black women are disproportionately the victims of violence yeah. all over the country and particularly in Allegheny County. When you disregard the well-being of a community of people that has traditionally been the victim or more likely to be the victims of violence, you're smacking every one of those people in the face. Yeah. And as a woman, I cannot imagine the district attorney doing that. Yeah. It, it if you, I know you've seen the video and I'm sure most people out there have seen the video. There are several times when not only, I mean the, I mean, these men were obviously in charge of that situation the entire time, but there were times where it seemed like, you know, the person would be over here and one of the people, one of the men would come over and it was very aggressive, I believe, the attack. And, and if, if that's a standard, um, uh, trying to cause bodily injury, um, serious bodily serious injury, bodily. Um, from what you saw in the video, does that meet the standard, what you saw in the video? One of them gets their head thrown into the gas pump, I believe. That's, that's the most blatant example. Mm -hmm. But that same individual who picked a smaller, younger right. female and drove her head into an immovable object, that same man held her down yeah. so that another guy could hit her repeatedly. Yeah. And I heard uh, the argument made that the guy who hit her, oh, he hit her with, a, with an open fist. If you're holding her down, <laughs> right. you have no control over yeah. what that individual does. So that, when you're looking at an incident, you have to take into account the totality of the circumstances. Right. So when an individual who has held a young woman down so that another woman, another man, right. bigger, stronger, could hit her repeatedly in the face and head, and then is the same person drives her head into an immovable object, the totality of that circumstances right. would lead you to believe that he intended to cause her serious bodily injury. And, and we talked a little bit about this just as we were getting ready to come on. Um, Someone like Steven Zapala, who has a reputation for overcharging uh, individuals in this case, doesn't, in his mind, I guess it would be overcharging. Most people's mind, it, it's the right charge. He doesn't do it here. And there has been, there has been the, that, and you brought it up earlier, but there's, I've heard it many times in the community, you heard it during the Michael Roosevelt trial, that the, um, that the African-American community in particular doesn't get the sort of doesn't get the doesn't get the respect that it deserves from Steven Zapala. 
What are you, what are your thoughts on how he's interacted with us? And we talked a little bit about that, but your thoughts on how he's interacted with that community? Well, he's tone deaf. Yeah. And I think because he's running for reelection and there's a challenger who's saying you overcharge and you're not progressive and you're not trying to reform the system. He's so tone deaf and misunderstands the law that he's going to choose this case to yeah. undercharge. Right. I mean, I have people who can't get into ARD because they forged a check to feed their families because the victim objects. You're not going to make an exception for that woman right. or that person, but you're going to make an exception in this very public case. And it just shows that he's tone deaf to the community. Um, and, and I do want to, and I, 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 I did mention this. Um, there was a story that came out um, I think it was shortly after you announced your candidacy about an old case that you were involved in, in which you were in jury selection. Um, uh, and uh, long story short, the, 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 the sort of the, and you're welcome to fill it in. I don't want to, I don't want to shorten so much that I misrepresent it, but the charge or the, the allegation, or, you know, the, what people are saying is, is that you were trying to uh, keep blacks off a jury, um, black individuals off a jury. Um, and your rationale, this is from, from some transcripts. It says that you weren't dismissing them because they were black, but because they were fat. Um, talk a little bit about that. I want to give you a chance to explain that and talk about that a little bit. Um, and, and you had said that that came from the Zapala campaign. That's the, that's the thing about politics is you say it came from the Zapala campaign and they say, oh, no, no, of course. It, where else would it come from? That kind right. of thing, you know? So talk to me a little bit about that and, and um, about that time, about that. Uh, about that case and sort of how it's been represented uh, since then. Well, that case was from 92, I think. Yeah, so on. almost 30 years ago. Um, and I, from the very beginning, when I was a, a public defender, I saw that the prosecutors were routinely striking black people from juries. And when they were, the law requires that when you allege that they're striking people because of their race, they have to defend their strikes. Sure. So district attorneys would frequently dis defend their strikes with, oh, well, he was reading a book and I thought the book was weird and that's why I struck him. And judges would say, oh, okay, then that's a, that's a legitimate consideration. So in this particular case, I was representing a white guy who committed a or was accused of committing a racially motivated um, criminal mischief. Right. And the victim was black. So I think it was in retaliation for my always accusing DAs of striking black right. people from the jury that they accused me of doing the same. And so we were I was required to justify my strikes. Sure. So we went into chambers, which is just me, the judge, the DA and a court reporter. Right. And um, I started making the same nonsensical bullshit strikes, right. you know, justifications right. that the DAs all, already did, always did. And the last one was uh, that the lady was fat, and that's why I struck her. And I went over the top, and the comments were outrageous because right. I was trying to be outrageous and demonstrate this is all, you know, nonsense. Yeah. Um, and the the rhetoric is it, that I used was not – it was insensitive, and I think probably given my lack of knowledge at that time, 30 years ago, about racial stereotypes, I didn't realize that I was even playing into one. Right. 
I've certainly learned since then sure. in the last 30 years that, right. you know, you have to be very careful um, even it, when you're being sarcastic or when you're being rude or when you're, you're trying to make a point, you can't play into that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. And I think there are two people that see that are going to take two kinds of stances on it. It's either benefit when you read the transcript, you either say this, these are the words, that's it. Or you can give the benefit of the doubt that says you're reading a transcript. You're not hearing a tape. You're not, you weren't, you didn't hear it. Um, so I guess that's up to, that's up to interpretation. Um, I, I guess, but, um, well, I, I think actually when you read the whole thing and you hear how long and how ridiculous what I said was yeah. that you would at that point say, this woman's either insane or <laughs> she's, you know, obviously right. you're trying to make a point and being sarcastic. Yeah. And what's interesting about that case is I won the case. Um, we went to trial with that jury, the jury we selected that mm -hmm. had black people on it and I won the case. So there was really no reason for a transcript right. to be ordered, but the, that was the day before Facebook and social media. Yeah, yeah. So our way of posting things to embarrass or mock people was to actually photocopy it and <laughs> right. put it up on the wall. Right. So that was actually on the wall in the DA's office, I believe. So one page or two pages of it. In the future, if there are any attorneys out there that want to strike me from a jury because I'm heavy set, feel free. I, I, I'm all right with it. Um, one more, a couple more things I want to talk about with you. Um, police accountability is huge, and that's the uh, the DA can't you know can't run from the fact that that he's been a, accused of not holding police officers accountable for their actions for quite a long time. Um, what are your thoughts on 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 how police officers have been, um, how these kinds of cases like the, um, like the Antoine Rose case, um, like the, um, Leon Ford case, uh, although there wasn't a homicide, it was still, it was a shooting of an unarmed civilian in a car. And he's now, you know, confined to a wheelchair for the rest of, you know, for the rest of his life, although he is, has been up and moving and thanks to therapy, which is great. Um, but what is your stance on, on how, Police accountability has been handled in that office, and what are your plans to, to change it? I think part of the problem, or main part of the problem, is that there's an inherent conflict of interest when you have a district attorney prosecuting, investigating police. Yeah. You have to work closely with the police if you're the district attorney. And in my world, in my district attorney's office, the police will be working very closely with the district attorneys in trying to divert people out of the criminal justice system. And if I want to work with them and I want them to cooperate, I certainly will not be prosecuting and investigating them. That's not the job of the district attorney. Right. I think that every single time an individual police officer is charged with um, inflicting injury on, yeah. on a citizen, that should be referred immediately to the state attorney general's office. It's like if my son is caught for a DUI, would you expect me to prosecute him? Right. No, you're going to say she has a conflict of interest. And it's the same for police officers when you're working like that with them and you're friendly with them and you're helping and supporting each other. You can't investigate and prosecute them. Um, talk a little bit about the Michael Roosevelt case. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, there, there, there's been a lot of criticism about how that case was handled. Talk a little bit about that case, how you would have handled it. Were there missteps by the office in what you saw? I think the original misstep was in investigating 
and prosecuting it, deciding to prosecute it within the district attorney's office because right. of that conflict. I mean, how are we ever supposed to have any faith that you're really trying to do the right thing for all the citizens of Allegheny County if you're handling it for your buddies? That case should have been sent immediately to the state attorney general's office. And if you're foolish enough to try the case yourself, do it right. Hire an expert. Pick your most talented, right. vibrant, exciting prosecutor to present the case. And talk to the family of the victim. Let them know what the chances are and what the law is and explain to them exactly what's going on in the process. Right. I think all of those things were, were handled very poorly. Do you, believe, do you believe the aftermath of that case, we had protests, massive protests for a few weeks. Do you think that, the, that, that Zipala handled the aftermath of that situation properly? Well, I think to make the comment that the protesters were from out of town is nonsensical. Right. I mean, yeah. the peop that's, that's just another example of his disengagement with the community that he's supposed to serve. You know, those were people from Allegheny County. Those were people from East Pittsburgh and, right. and, and Braddock and, and all of the areas that he won't go to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those were the, the people. And yeah. there were plenty of people from all over the county because – what he doesn't understand is that black people aren't the only people in Allegheny County that care about black people. Right. You know, we're all human beings. And if you can't support communities that are, that have been disenfranchised and, and abused for years and years in Allegheny County, then you're not, you're not a representative of all of us because it's not only black people that want black people to be treated fairly. Right. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's tough to, um, because you know, <laughs> injustice when it happens when it happens in one place, it's it's going to happen in others, and it's just you can't be you can't be sure how the um, you know how other cases are, are going to be handled. It's just um, well, it's interesting because you know, as a public defender for thirty years, like some of the things that. I've noticed or that my colleagues have noticed, you know, things aren't really a problem until they reach the suburbs, right? right. And it's the OP, you know, there were people in the city and, and people in communities of color that were severely affected by opiates for years. Right. But it's not a big problem and it's not an epidemic until the the kid in Fox Chapel or the, or the kid in, you know, Shaler is affected by it. Right. And that's disturbing to a lot of us as well. But when you're not focused on communities, all the communities of Allegheny mm -hmm. County, that's how you end up tone deaf. And that's how you end up with a massive spread of an opioid epidemic that could have been quashed if you'd actually cared about the people who were suffering 10 years ago. You're listening to the Pittsburgh Current Podcast. We are here with independent Allegheny County District Attorney candidate Lisa Middleman, and we're talking about the upcoming November election. Um, one thing, Lisa, that I found interesting um, is you had said that you had a plan to have an immigration attorney on staff. And, you know, here in Beachview, where there is a large Latino community, is something that, that we think about a lot is, and, you know, when we see, you know, when we see, you know, officers in the neighborhood or, 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 you know, black SUV, sometimes you're just like, you know, kind of what's going on. So we're always on, on the lookout, but once folks are, um, once folks are sort of in the system, it's tough to, um, I guess, keep their, um, to make sure that their rights are still being, um, uh, upheld. So 
talk a little bit about that idea and 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 why you decided to if if elected you that you'll do that. Well, I'll give you an example that can kind of demonstrate why I think it's important to have an immigration yeah. attorney or consider immigration consequences. You might have a family in, here in Allegheny County where, let's say the man is, is undocumented. And he has a, a wife, he has children, he has a job, he's supporting his family. Say he gets into trouble with the criminal justice system. You want to consider what the immigration consequences are from a public policy standpoint. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who say, well, if he's undocumented, then he should go. Right, right. Except you have to look down the line, which is you're going to impoverish a family who relies on him for support. You're going to uh, break up a family. You're going to have children without a father figure in the home. And you're going to cause this woman to have to work excessive amounts to support these kids. So then you have a mom who's not at home with her kids who may get into trouble because they're not supported. And you just, when you wreck families like that, you end up wrecking communities. So that's the reason why you can't have that hard line stance that if you're, if you're here illegally, you have to go, you'll wreck families, you'll wreck communities. The other, another reason would be say, for instance, um, a woman is undocumented in that same family situation and she's being abused by her husband or by her boyfriend. If she believes going to the police will subject her to deportation, she's not going to get help and she may get very, very seriously injured. Or it's a boyfriend, he moves on because she doesn't get help and she doesn't report him. He goes on to another relationship and he kills someone. Yeah. So you have to think not only just about we have to have people following the rules, but you have to look at the broader public right. policy implications. So that's why I'm, I would always want the immigration consequences right. considered. And there are several law enforcement agencies in this area that um, – well, there are several law enforcement agencies – that do actively uh, help ICE or try and establish uh, residency um, uh, of folks. But here in, in this region, we have like city police, for example, it's a policy. You, you don't, inf- you know, you're, 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 you don't work for ICE. You're not right. to actively, you know, so would your DA's office also have that same, that same policy is that you would not be active. Like if you had someone come in your office who was undocumented, your folks, the second call wouldn't be necessarily to call to call ICE. I'm never going to find out if they're undocumented because yeah. I'm not going to require it. Right. But you know, you have as district attorney, you have to prioritize what you, what you're where you're going to spend your resources and where yeah. you're going to spend your time. When we can stop guns from coming into mm-hmm. Allegheny County, when we can stop children from shooting other children in Allegheny County, when we can get the rape kits tested that are sitting on shelves. Um, when we can accomplish all of those things, then then we can worry about other things that are less important. I think in two thousand or two thousand one, I did um, I did that exact story about crime lab backup and all these cases. And at that time, folks were going folks were folks were going free because there was no you know the the if the case wasn't didn't proceed you know by a certain time frame, then then the charges are the charges are dismissed. And that was right. happening back then, and. Steve Zappala was the DA. So this isn't a new problem. This case, this backlog of, of, of rape kits, and I assume probably also ballistic evidence and so forth. It's not a new issue. Um, so, um, what, what do you, I mean, and obviously I know you're not in the office, but, but what is the, what is the fix for that? 
you have to prioritize what you're doing. Yeah. If you're sending, if you're prosecuting marijuana cases and you're sending gotcha. marijuana to the crime lab to be tested, that's taking time, energy, and effort at the medical examiner's office that could be better served, you know, doing work on more yeah. serious cases. The excuse that I've heard from that's being given when women who are the victims of sexual assaults or their attorneys that they've turned to because they're not getting the help that they need from the DA's office. The excuse is we don't have enough resources and we don't have enough uh, people working at the crime lab. We don't have enough time to, to get all these rape kits tested. Well, stop wasting your time on nonsense like marijuana. Yeah. Lisa, what is your, what, what, what is your, what is your response to, and I'm sure you've been asked this, um, running as an independent is, is certainly an uphill battle. What's the experience been like? And, and um, what is the key, do you think, for, for you to, to win in November? It's at, the response has actually been refreshing because, you know, my, my first inclination was, oh, people are going to think I'm some sort of weirdo independent because I'm not one of, you know, involved in one of the major sure. parties. But when they understand that, the position of district attorney is one that should be devoid of any political interest or political um, pressure. Then they seem to say, oh, okay, I get that. That sounds right. You should be independent. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the response has been really good. To win in November, right. I simply need people not to vote straight Democrat or state, straight Republican. I need for people to look at each individual race. Even if you end up voting all one way, do it thoughtfully and right. look at each different race. And that's I think that'll do it. Um, I have to think that um, – well, it's hard to say because um, certainly – um, people have taken more of an interest in politics. And I think that that's got to be, and we talked a little bit about this, um, underdogs have made, um, across the country, underdogs have made some big upsets to, to win some, some, some offices. And here locally, uh, we, we had that, we've had that now for the past year and a half where we've had that situation. Um, does it, does it feel different to you? And I know this is your first time running for office, but does the vibe seem different to you in terms of, people are more willing to make a change or to listen to an alternative uh, candidate more than they had been in the past? Well, I've lived in Allegheny County my whole life. You had to be a Democrat to get a job with Allegheny County. Um, I think people have this vision of this Democratic machine um, where old white guys sit in a back room and decide right. who gets to run next. And I've had friends and folks in the DA's office who've had that experience. But I think we've seen, uh, and I think it's res uh, a female response to Trump yeah. where people say, oh, hell no. <laughs> and they say, I'm gonna, going to run when I think it's the time for me to run. And we've seen Sarah Indemorado and Summer Lee and Bethany Hallam and Pam Iovino and um, Lindsay Williams, Lindsay Williams, just say, no, I'm, I'm running now. And I think people want to hear what I have to say. And they've all been successful because I think the democratic party has not quite caught up with that notion. They still think, no, well, they're not, you know, they're not endorsed or they're not yeah. part of our old guys network. So nobody will vote for them. And then they're very surprised that yeah. people do want change. Right. So I have seen, I haven't been a politician before sure. I haven't run for anything, so I can't really gauge, but I have not had any pushback because right. I'm an independent. 
um, I'm sure that there are some old white guys still sitting around wondering how the hell they got voted out of office. It's just, it's, right. it, there's definitely, there's definitely a, a new time. Um, Lisa, I want to talk to you about one other thing, but I just want to ask you um, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, your campaign, anything else that I didn't ask you or that you would like to um, make sure that people know about you and your, in your campaign, your candidacy? Well, my website is lisamiddleman.com. Yes. So if there's if there are any questions about what I stand for, I actually annoyed everyone, I think, on my campaign staff by, by requiring a lengthy uh, description of what my platform is. Yeah. And I think it's in reaction to not ever knowing what politicians really think or what they mean or, oh, a lot of people say, oh, you're running for office. You'll promise us anything. Right. How do we know you'll do what you say? I put it in writing and... And that's my word. That's what I intend to do. And folks can also find you on Twitter, at Lisa Middleman DA on Twitter. So this final thing isn't campaign related, but when I have a lawyer here, I'm going to bring it up. I have to I have to talk about it. Um, what do you, and you you mentioned, you, you spoke his, you spoke Voldemort's name when you said Trump. Um, what do you, uh, what do you make of the whole impeachment inquiry? What do you, where, where do you, where do you think it's, it's going to, it's going to go? That's interesting because I've been so wrapped up in my I'm own sure. stuff that I, I haven't looked a lot at yeah. it. But I don't think it's going to go well for either party, yeah. honestly. You know, I think a lot of times politicians or people who are involved in politics do and say things because they think it's going to get a reaction that's positive, but they don't really think about the long-term ramifications of yeah. what they're doing. And I'm a little concerned that people like myself who've chosen to be independent because we're tired mm -hmm. of the gamesmanship and we're tired of the posturing you know, of the major yeah. parties, I think that's going to turn people off. Uh, win or lose here, do you, do you think that you would you would run for office again? Um, obviously, win you would certainly. But um, is this something that that you've um, and and again, you're not running because you're a politician. You're running because you you, you want to see change. Um, but have you have you gotten a taste for 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 this, or is it sort of one of those things that because I would imagine would have one of, one or two effects on folks where they'd be like, oh, this is the craziest shit ever, or it would be, you know, you know, this is kind of fun. So, well, you know, what's funny is my kids are twenty six and twenty two, mm -hmm. and when they first left the house, I thought I'm going to be free to do all these things. And what I found is, what, I went to work and I came home and I got very comfortable, not really going anywhere, just enjoying, you know, the house that didn't smell weird anymore right, right. or coming home and not having like seven kids asleep on the couch. So I really sort of became a homebody and what running for office did was get me back out to all the places that I used to go and I used to love to be. So I can say that whether win, lose, run for office, don't run for office, I intend to certainly be in the areas that I've been and go to functions and meet people. That's the exciting, right, being that's involved, a good, yeah. yeah, that's the good and exciting part of running for office. The not good part is making phone calls, asking people for money and, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, but I've enjoyed the community days and the festivals and the fairs. Yeah. I've just had a really good time. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope it was a, I don't know if it was a good time, but yeah. hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our viewers, too. yeah, no, it's, um, and I appreciate it. And I do want to say, I do want to say that I said this when you came in, um, when I start, when I talk to your team about you coming on here, um, normally there is a, you know, you go back and forth to set a time. I was sent a link that basically said, 
schedule your 45 minutes with Lisa. And I have to say that this was the easiest <laughs> setup to get a politician in here that we've ever had. I, I put my name in, said, said where to be, and you showed up. So I, 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 I do appreciate that. I appreciate that function. I think that that's something that, that, that more politicians should look at. It's Absolutely. It's and you have to show up. Yeah. You, know, you have to be available and you have to show up. Absolutely. Lisa Middleman, thank you very much uh, for coming out today. And thank you for joining us on the Pittsburgh Current podcast. New issue of the Pittsburgh Current is on stands now. And check out our repeal day party December 5th. You can find information at pittsburghcurrent.com and on our Facebook page. Have a great week. A better alternative Giving Pittsburgh A better alternative This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.